What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. This is Resistance in Residence, where we profile artists using their gifts to change the world. This week's featured artist is educator, entrepreneur, musician, Candace Wicks Davis, who I also get to call my sister and friend. Uh, she is also the co-director with her husband, Hadari Davis, of the Youth Spoken Word Ensemble, Young, Gifted, and Black. Hello, Candace. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Kat. I am so excited to talk to you. I mean, it, it's it's a shame that this is like the only time I get to talk to you when we're working. <laughs> uh, we keep threatening to do more and other things, but um, we do. I'll take, you know, I'll take this for now. Mm. Um, Candace, I want to start, I want the world to know a little bit about little Candace and about like where and how you grew up, what your family was like and when you discovered music. Oh, wow. Um, well, first of all, just thank you for having me. Um, and I just have so much love for you. Um, I uh, grew up in Long Beach, California. Um, my parents were teenagers, 18 and 19 years old when they had me. Um, and I grew up kind of like in the Reagan era of um, school vouchers and like going into um, black and brown neighborhoods and testing kids. And then, you know, if you test at a certain level, kind of shipping you off to school in all white affluent neighborhoods. Um, and so I grew up in that era. And I really feel like that shaped really everything I did into my adulthood. Um, my, my view on race, my view on equity and racial justice and all of the things that come through um, in my art and in my music have everything to do with growing up as like one of 20 black kids in a white school um, across town from where you live and seeing the disparities between what the schools in my neighborhood had versus what the schools across town had. Um, and so for me, the, the underpinning of like equity and social and racial justice is like the foundation for how I see the world because that was the biggest part of my upbringing. Mm. I remember having that experience, right? And mm -hmm. I remember how alienated and... Oh, yeah. Uh, alone and um, ostracized. Oh yeah. Um, that I felt and the impact on like my self-esteem, my ability to speak up in class. Um, it, it 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 does. I think set up. I mean, you you and I, uh, I, I think can say that we're we're lucky, right? Like mm -hmm. in terms of the way our lives turned out. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, as an educator and someone that, that does spend a lot of time um, looking at, at equity education, that these decisions that are made, particularly when it comes to black children, um, without keeping in mind, like our mental and emotional health or the mental and emotional spiritual health of our, our black children sets up life trajectories that don't end up so well. Yeah, that's very true. You know, and I think um, folks want to look at folks like us as an example of like, we'll see, you know, they were able to, you know, pull themselves out of that situation. Um, but when I look at, you know, my community at large, a lot of us were not able to. Um, and the, the circumstances around them, even within my own family, cousins, I have cousins and folks that didn't escape, um, you know, the, the 
wave of the crack epidemic that swept, you know, LA County and all parts of the country. Um, folks that in my own family who could not escape that. Um, and there's a real set of circumstances that enabled me to have access to certain things that they did not have. Like, and I saw that privilege. Um, even though we were living in the same community, I saw the difference in access just because of, you know, a score on a test and, and the attachment of value to a, a, a human being based on these tests is what, you know, opened or closed that gate. Um, and, and so for me, I, I always felt a responsibility in my art to respond to that, um, to, to ruminate on those things through my uh, music and really everything I do. Let's talk about the music for a little bit. Uh, Candace. W when did you discover music and, and what role did it play in your young life in helping you navigate, survive some of the conditions that we were just talking about? Yeah, I, you know, I always had a deep like love for uh, music. I, it was always playing in my house. Um, and as a kid, I know, you know, I've stumbled across some recordings of me singing, um, you know, Anita Baker and Gladys Knight <laughs> and stuff on cassette. Okay. Um, so it was always like, it was always there. Um, I actually didn't start like really performing until um, high school. Um, and uh, I, I didn't really know that I could sing. Like I was singing one day along to a song and somebody was like, oh, I didn't know you could sing. And I was like, I can. <laughs> um, and so I started, you know, singing from there. And um, for me, it's always been like something that um, helps me to process and heal and um, really make sense of the world around me and to respond to it. Um, I, I always wanted to be the kind of artist that could just make like whatever kind of music, like make music about going to the club or make music about just love. And, um, and it just never, can, it never comes out of me that way. <laughs> um, it's always like, you know, um, how my folks are suffering or how we need to rise up, how we need to, um, you know, better our condition and um, challenge these systems. And so um, I, you know, for me, I feel a deep sense of like, on, a, on like a spiritual level, I feel a deep sense of responsibility for um, creating music that's in response to what's going on around me. Given what you just said, right, about, and you haven't had this conversation before, like mm -hmm. you don't just write love songs. I mean, mm -hmm. but you do write love songs. I do. You, you, write, mm -hmm. you write love songs for us and to mm -hmm. us and, and about us. Um, and, and if anybody's ever heard you in, in Antique Naked Soul, and we'll talk about that perform, right? We, we definitely feel loved on, um, mm. when we are watching you all give everything you have, um, to us, given that fact though, talk about your creative process, because my guess would be it's somewhere between idea spark in the middle of the night, um, your craft and your talent and the ancestors, God in the universe. <laughs> I would say you just, you probably got it right there. Um, it's definitely, you know, moments of like a line will hit me um, and it'll be like, oh, I got to get that down and I'll scribble it down or I'll record a voice memo in my phone. Um, and then there's also I actually have a really good time writing in response to 
like prompts or, um, you know, having someone commission work. I, I actually really enjoy that too. Um, and, and I just will sit down and write something. Um, so that also is, is true for, um, for my process. Um, and I, I also, I do a lot of like kind of talking to myself subconsciously, um, which I think is, you know, my internal voice is very much, um, all of the people who came before me and, and, uh, I carry their DNA and their blood and all of that. And so I'm sure that that comes through, um, in my writing too. Um, but I feel like it's some kind of um, mixture of those three ways of um, creating things for sure. We had a big Tommy in the family on uh, not too long ago as artist in, in, in residence, which was dope. Um, I'd love for you to talk about Antique Naked Soul, the work mm -hmm. that you've done and your unique approach, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's all acapella. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, you talk about that, right? And and, and yeah. I'm sure that we'll get uh, uh, at least some of uh, one of them tracks inside of this interview. But, <laughs> but yeah, talk about that. Perfect. Yeah, I um, Antique Naked Soul... Um, you know, it's so funny. It's one of those things that just started um, because we had this first Friday show um, or actually I had this first Friday show and I asked Tommy to accompany me along with um, Jamie and Nagala. And um, we weren't even a band yet. So we just did the show. And afterwards we were like, yo, like we got to keep doing this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and so uh, we started um, working on an album together and, you know, all of those folks, Jamie, Nagala, Tommy, like those are my folks. I just I have so much love for them um, and so proud of the work that we did together and um, proud of Tommy just won a Grammy. So just so proud of my my folks. Um, and, you know, so we started, you know, doing that project together and um, it was really well received when it came out. It was self-titled Antique Naked Soul. Um, Hadari, actually, my husband came up with the name for the group. Like he, we, we didn't have a name yet. And he was just like, y'all got that. That's, this is that Naked Soul. And we were like, oh, Naked Soul, you know? Um, so, um, and so we started working on that. And um, from there we did like a lot of different um, projects. We've done like some really interesting things together. Like we did a hip hop, like Seder. <laughs> we, we've done a lot of like really different projects together. Um, and that work I still love so much. Um, and uh, then we completed a project called Diamond and Bullets with UCAT as one of the actors. And um, so we are gearing up for, um, we did a soft release of Diamond and Bullets, which was a project near and dear to all of our hearts in response to um, the murder of really, you know, I the countless, 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 countless numbers of black and brown folks um, that are killed in, you know, police violence, but um, Philando Castile is kind of loosely based on that story. Um, and it was just so moving. And so we did a soft launch of that um, last year. Um, and so we're gearing up for a kind of formal release of that project. Wow. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah, we uh, did kind of like a market test and had like a specific group of folks um, 
listen to it and give us feedback first because it's heavy. Um, and so we're still kind of collecting that information from folks. It's available with a link for 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 specific folks to just go in and give us feedback and and we're you know still kind of finalizing that, but that'll be out uh, hopefully this year. Well, I can t- I can say to you, it is it is one of the most favorite projects I ever. Oh, I love it. To work on being in creative process with you was like oh. head exploding. Um, oh. I mean, you're just so gifted and talented mm-hmm. and, and an amazing human being. And you mentioned, you know, your amazing uh, partner uh, Hadari, and you know, Candice, I mean, you're not just like a force when it comes to you know your work or the the commitment to our children. You and Hadari are like black royalty. And oh, you no, I'm nice. so serious. And you exude um black excellence and black mm. love and black joy. And um I just wonder if you could talk about y'all's partnership, like from the outs. I mean, I know, you know, people do work and clearly you all be about that work, right? And that's <laughs> your business. Yeah. Um, but but this decision, it's like you all have crafted this life that is about um loving on, on black folks and showing what black love can look like and, and, and walking that in our community mm. for everybody to see. And it seems like not just your relationship, but, a, but an act of, of resistance of, mm. of, of, of black revolution, right? Black mm. families of black love is revolutionary. And I wonder if you could just talk about that a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I, um, I've always felt like he and I were together like in some other um, iteration, um, like some other timeline um, or lifetime um, because he's like truly like my other half, like the other part of who I am. And so I'm so grateful for that relationship, for this marriage um, because it just uh, nurtures, I feel like it nurtures both of us Um, in a way that makes it possible for us to manifest, um, you know, our, our potential and our purpose here. Um, and it's, you know, a part of what makes that possible is that it's aligned, you know, what he's here to do, what I'm here to do. There's a lot of alignment in that and, um, as together and as individuals. Um, and so we have just, you know, found, a lot of synergy in not only like our relationship to each other as like husband and wife, but also to um, our life's mission. And so we have our company, Entertainment for Equity, together, which is a consulting and media production company. Um, we have Young, Gifted, and Black, which Akira, um, my my bonus daughter, um, is the director of that now. Um, oh wow! And so yeah, she's holding it down. Um, doing a really incredible job. Um, and, uh, and actually the whole staff is alumni, (laughs) which is really cool. Um, so, you know, um, so through that work and then also musically, we have a project together called exhibit a, um, we did the exhibition of it in the park at the life is living festival last year. And, um, we're kind of culminating, um, that project this year. And we do Life is Living Together. So we have like all of these projects that are, um, you know, the pieces of both of us that um, feel like they're in line with our purpose. Um, And so I I feel really grateful to have found that level of partnership and alignment with someone for sure. 
I want to just take a second, and I know that I speak for so many other Black parents in Oakland to say mm-hmm. thank you. Mm. For I'm like I'm gonna cheer up for you and get to them black like sorry I um you know I I y'all would uh, before Jaden was a part of Young Gifted and Black whenever we called I mean this is like when we were still just Onyx right whenever <laughs> we would call you would bring this tr- this army this troop of these <laughs> passionate you know young militant talented black children that would just come spit fire and um. You know, Mama Davis would always talk about how Young, Gifted, and Black is not entertainment, right? It's mm-hmm. edutainment. And if mm-hmm. you could just talk about that for a minute, and then if you'd slide right into, because you brought it up, life is living and mm. the gift that you give us every single year in the town. Oh, yeah. I mean, Young, Gifted, and Black was founded by uh, my mother-in-law in 1980, I believe, in Ithaca, New York, um, just as like a Black History Month program, because there wasn't one. And she and another uh, Black teacher were like, we can't let Black History Month go by in this Black school and not talk about it. So they came up with it. And then the parents were like, y'all got to keep doing this. Um, And so that turned into, I think they ran for about seven years or so in Ithaca. And then um, after she retired in California, after she retired, um, uh, Hadari was like, we got to bring Young, Gifted, and Black back. And so it came back about 2008, I believe, and it's been going since. And, um, you know, it's for us, it's like, you know, I think about how different cultures have like Saturday schools or cultural schools. I feel like YGB is that. It's filling um, that identity part. And as a parent, like you had mentioned, you know, I find myself as a Black parent thinking about identity Um, like the choice between identity development and the quality of my child's education and what they have access to. And oftentimes for us, those things don't come together. Um, You you find yourself kind of having to choose what you're going to prioritize. And that is, you know, a parental dilemma that I find to be deeply unfair. Um, And so I feel that um, Young, Gifted and Black, even if you have to send your child to a predominantly white school, that that is a space where they're allowed to be themselves, where they're allowed to learn about themselves. Um, I don't care what books y'all, them, they trying to ban or whatever they're trying to ban, we gonna do us regardless. Um, So I, you know, that space is the space of, um, you know, I think the legacy of the Black Panther Party. Um, I think about the legacy of those free breakfasts. I think about the legacy of the Panther Cubs and like, all of that rich um, historical foundation that was laid. And I think Young, Gifted, and Black is continuing that um, and is a necessary space. We need more spaces where young people are affirmed in their Blackness. Um, And, you know, thinking about, you know, life as living as a cultural institution, it's it's also continuing that legacy um, that the Black Panthers set the... the, um, survival programs, the free breakfast program, um, really engaging with the community. Um, And the Black Panthers were all about art too. They had the band, um, the proletariat. So it's all in the legacy of kind of where this town, um, the mark that the Panthers left on this town just continues to show up in our work. And Life is Living is the kind of the community culmination um, in, in the park, in Little Bobby Hutton Park, 
um, the culmination of all the work that folks are doing around the town with regard to racial justice and equity. You know, Candace, as we've been in this conversation, we've heard the little ones behind you, um, <laughs> which is beautiful, right? So it's a perfect soundtrack, to actually, to the conversation that we are having. And, you know, people just heard all of the projects that you're working on, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, in including being, you know, a partner and a mother of two little ones. How, how do you take care of yourself? How do? Because I actually know that that's central to to, mm-hmm. to y'all, right? Is because mm-hmm. y'all be on me, all, you know, every every time <laughs> I see you, right? Like, are you sleeping? Are you drinking water? And mm-hmm. um, thank God for you and Jen Johns, the whole water thing. Um, mm-hmm. I actually do that now. Uh, to talk about what that that means, right? To give mm-hmm. so much and make sure that you have enough of you for you. Yeah, um, I found, especially when I became a mom, that. Um, it, I have to, like, I have to um, take care of my body because I'm not, you know, I'm not no spring chicken. I didn't have kids until I was in my 40s. So I have to um, do certain things to make sure that I have the energy to keep up with the almost four-year-old and almost two-year-old. Um, so water, for sure. I drink a lot of water. Um, I try to work out every day, like try to do something active every day. Um, Lots of fruits, juicing, vegetables. I'm vegan. Um, I try to do as much as I can to take care of my physical body because, you know, um, they they need me and um, and I need to be able to do um, to show up for them and to show up in all the other capacities. And so it's very hard. Like, I'm not going to hold you like I have days where I'm like, I don't even know how I'm going to get through this day. Um, I don't know. I'm looking at my calendar. I'm looking at these babies and I'm like, I don't know. Um, but somehow we do it, you know, somehow the capacity is found and, um, you know, as difficult as it is sometimes, um, it's also truly like a blessed, um, role to be in. Um, I, I am done though. I'm the, the two is plenty. And this Wicks Davis, what um what are you working on right now? What what should the people uh, be looking for in addition to the hard launch of Diamonds and Bowl? Yes, um so right now I'm I've uh, finished recording a project in partnership with the city of Oakland. I'm the cultural strategist in government for the um, Department of Race and Equity. So we are we just finished recording um, an album that corresponds to the Oakland Equity Report, which unfortunately Oakland scored a 33 out of 100 on racial equity, and um, Black people were at the bottom of just about every statistic. Um, and so the album is the 12 most kind of egregious <laughs> indicators of equity, um, and there's a song for each one. And it corresponds to the exhibit that was in the park at Life is Living called Exhibit A, where we commissioned um, three artists to create visualizations for um, those data points. Um, So Kaba Menzies was one, Khufu was another, and uh, Awan Mance was another artist that um, created visualization. So there's a companion um, album that goes to that exhibit, and that will be coming out this year um, along with hopefully a showcase of that. Um, we're still trying to like be really mindful of COVID. So we're just trying to figure out how to have a public sh- showing performance of this album without you know having folks have to put their 
themselves at risk. So that's what's coming. Um, and uh, the hard release of Diamond and Bullets as well. Um, and then um, the expansion of Exhibit A into other cities. So Exhibit A right now is Oakland, but we have a couple of other cities that are interested in visualizing data um, and creating music for them as a way to help folks to just humanize data. Like these, these numbers are human beings. They correspond to people. And it's so easy to read a report and go, oh, how terrible, and not really recognize that every single person who makes up a percentage on that report is a human being. Um, and so, um, so that's, that's what we're working on right now. And Candace, where can folks find you on the socials to follow you in all of your brilliance? Oh, good, thanks. Um, so you can follow me on um, IG at um, I am Mama Candace um, on Instagram. Uh, I don't really do many other um, outlets, but um, and then E for E, our consulting company, Edutainment for Equity. You can follow us on Instagram. It's Edutainment for Equity LLC. Um, we recently, our account got deleted, so we had to start a new one because, you know, I don't know how that happens and you can't find it, but whatever, I'm not going to put no conspiracy theories out there. But um, so we had to start all over. So you would actually be helping us a lot if you um, followed the Edutainment for Equity IG so we can rebuild our um, uh, community. And um, always feel free to hit us at edutainmentforequity.com or e4econsulting.com. Um, that's a great space to find us too. Candace Wicks Davis, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Kat. So much love. So much love. Yellow listening to Law and Disorder. I'm your host, Kat Brooks. This is Resistance and Residence. And this week's featured artist is educator, entrepreneur, and musician Candace Wicks Davis. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox 5. Our Resistance and Residence theme music was composed by Jesse Strauss. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listeners. If you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam. <laughs>